Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. Confirmed cases of monkeypox in the U.S. number in the thousands, and they're doubling just about every week. Now, after months of mounting pressure to take more aggressive action, the federal government has declared the outbreak a public health emergency. But advocates say this move should have come far sooner. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're going to check in with some of those on the front lines of this growing health crisis to hear why they've been so critical of the response so far. This is a prime example of how the lack of action in a swift and thoughtful way will harm a community for decades. First up, though, we're going to hear from KCBS reporter Kathy Novak, who has been leading our coverage of the monkeypox outbreak and how it's spreading here in the Bay Area. She joins us now to tell us about what she's found so far. Welcome back to the program, Kathy. Thanks, Keith. So uh, I think it's fair to say that many of us, myself included, have really just been waking up to the severity of monkeypox over the past days or weeks. Uh, And what's really driven it home to me is these accounts that we've been hearing, these just harrowing accounts of people that are in terrible pain as a result of this uh, of this virus. And, you know, we should mention that very few people are actually dying from monkeypox. That's exceedingly rare. But as your reporting has illustrated, this is definitely not something that you want to get. Right. And, you know, the symptoms are not something that people would ordinarily maybe share, particularly on the radio. But it's precisely because of what you're talking about, that it was very abstract for people uh, that the San San Francisco resident I spoke to, David Norman, was finally comfortable sharing his story. And what he told me was that the symptoms began slowly. At first, he felt just a little off. I kind of had a fever and some chills on Friday, like when I went to bed and I emailed my doctor. And then it wasn't until really Monday though that I woke up and actually had visible bumps. After that, his symptoms quickly worsened and they became debilitating at times. I physically haven't been able to work most of the week. I had to cancel most of my calls like because I can't, I can't sit, I can barely walk. And that is because he does have bumps on his hands and his face, but the most painful ones are on his backside. Everything is just so sensitive and sore down there. And every time I go to the bathroom, it's excruciating. Like I bite bite a towel and like scream, like it's really bad. 
And on top of that excruciating pain, he has also been really frustrated because the vaccines have been so hard to get, and he had a really hard time finding medication. My primary care doctor has not been super helpful. I don't think a lot of the information online is super helpful from the CDC or different government websites. Everything that's been helpful for me has been crowdsourced through Instagram. And from that crowdsourcing, he finally found out that he should go to San Francisco City Clinic to get treatment. So he did, even though five days after his test, he was still waiting for the official results. So all of this taken together, he says the response to monkeypox that he has seen has been very disappointing. It just it just it feels especially like on the nose when we just we're still living through COVID. And it feels like we've learned like absolutely nothing. And again, that was San Francisco resident David Norman. It just sounds absolutely harrowing. And uh, his concerns about the pace of this response are, of course, shared by many activists, medical experts, uh, politicians that we've been hearing from in recent days. But we did get two major announcements this past week that, at least in theory, should pave the way for faster action. Uh, Kathy, what can you tell us about that? Right. So San Francisco was the first to declare a public health emergency locally. Then on Monday, California as a state followed suit. And then on Thursday, federal health officials declared an emergency on a national level. All this is hoped uh, that it will speed up access to vaccines and treatment. As we've been discussing, there are not enough vaccines to go around because of that. In California, health officials had already made the decision to prioritize getting the first dose of vaccine out to as many people as possible and delayed the administration of the second shot, which is usually given 28 days after the first. On the treatment side, there is a drug called Tecoviromat, more commonly known as T-pox. We heard from David there, who finally got it from City Clinic because his doctor couldn't prescribe it. The treatment is not FDA approved to treat monkeypox, so it takes a lot of paperwork in order to prescribe it, uh, and really only for people who have bad cases. Uh, So the feds have been asked about this now that they've declared this public health emergency. They say they're planning a clinical trial that will hopefully lead to full approval, and I think the hope is all of these declarations will just speed everything up. All right. Thanks, Kathy. I think that that uh, gives a good foundation for this conversation. And uh, Kathy is actually going to stick with us throughout the rest of the program to provide some of that uh, insight from her reporting as we go. Uh, But now we're going to dig a little bit deeper into exactly what has been making this emergency so difficult to contend with. To walk us through that, uh, we're going to welcome on now someone who has been raising the alarm bells about monkeypox for weeks now. That would be Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. Of course, no stranger to this program. Uh, Dr. Monica Gandhi, welcome. Thank you. So you have been treating monkeypox patients in your own clinic, seeing a lot of these cases come up and seeing the toll that this is taking on on, on folks that we've been discussing so far in this program. Uh, You also wrote in late June that the country is not taking this outbreak seriously enough. Uh, So bridge that gap for us and our listeners. What are you seeing in your clinic that is giving you such a sense of urgency that perhaps has been lacking in the rest of the country? So, yes, I mean, I actually was uh, traveling in India and I came back to my clinic and I realized how much it has been affecting the clinic. So I am the medical director of Ward 86, which is a large HIV clinic in the city of San Francisco. It's at San Francisco General Hospital. So it's the publicly insured clinic of the city. We have 2,600 patients and 70% are either gay men or transgender women. That is the population at risk. And we have a very high number of monkeypox cases um, after probably the second highest after the city clinic in the city, which is the 
STD clinic. So a lot of monkeypox, a lot of people coming in very uncomfortable, a lot of lesions, um, a lot of testing that needs to be done. And we don't have enough vaccine to cover everyone who's at risk in our clinic, which would be essentially 70% of our population. And that's been very frustrating. One of the steps that you had been advocating for, Dr. Gandhi, was to spread out the administration of the two-dose regime of the monkeypox vaccine. We've also heard uh, from federal health officials that they're considering an approach that would get five doses out of one vial. Um, now, uh, I understand by administering it intradermally. Uh, can you talk us through what uh, implications that would have on the supply and on people's immunity if they're kind of going off label a bit with these vaccines? Yes, um, so it's a really good Point. So essentially what they're saying is that these are single dose files, um, but depending on where you put, give the monkeypox vaccine, you can actually spread it out. Meaning, um, it, like you said, if we can dilute it and then instead of giving it deeper, we can give it more shallowly. Um, I will say that anything that anyone can think of um, that increases the number of people who can get partial protection now, even partial protection would go a long way in containing an outbreak. How do we contain outbreaks in general? It's basically by providing the population with immunity. And we, the reason this has been so frustrating, um, and it really is a comparison to COVID, is that we always had a vaccine that could work for monkeypox, which is the smallpox vaccine. So I think it's a great idea. It's a very interesting idea um, to um, space to, to do whatever it takes, which is giving one dose first and also trying to get five doses out of every vial. Well, that's a really good point. You know, comparing this to COVID. Because, you know, a lot of people would look at our experience over the past two years and say, all right, well, definitely a lot went wrong, but it was our first time in a very long time to face a health emergency of that size. So maybe cut ourselves a little bit of slack. But next time we're going to get this thing right. We're going to learn those lessons and we're going to apply them. And here we are in a, a similar circumstance with a disease that in many ways is actually easier to deal with, easier to yes. recognize we have a vaccine in place. And yet it seems like we're dealing with all the exact same issues. We, it's hard for people to get testing. It's hard for people to get treatment. It's hard for people to get vaccines. Uh, Dr. Gandhi, help our listeners understand, where is the disconnect here? Actually, it's such a brilliant <laughs> synopsis that you just made because you're totally right that COVID, I actually don't um, feel like blaming people for taking a long time to make a vaccine for COVID, because actually, in retrospect, that was a really short period of time. It was nine months to get to an effective COVID vaccine. You, like you said, that was an unprecedented pandemic. The last time this had happened was in 1918. But this particular infection, monkeypox, has all the features of containment. It's in one community. That wasn't true of COVID. It could spread mm -hmm. to anyone. It's in one community. The community is activated. It's a very active advocacy-based community. This is a community that is no stranger to being at risk for an infectious disease. They're at risk for HIV. And because of this, this is a very strong community that's full of activism, of activism and full of people who want to do the right thing and get the vaccine. Then the second thing that should make it so easy is that it's really unusual um, kind of lesions. So, you know, the thing about COVID is that 
you didn't even know you had it. And then you would get sick and you would have already spread it because you could spread when it was pre-symptomatic. In general here, it's like, it's monkeypox and that's pretty much it. There it can sometimes look like other STDs. And then the fourth thing is we didn't have to run around trying to find an vaccine, which would take nine months and people working in a lab, we had a vaccine. Smallpox and monkeypox are cousins. They are absolutely related. They're both orthopox viruses. The smallpox vaccine is 85% protective against the monkeypox vaccine. And we have that developed. So it just should have been not this sluggish. And I don't, why do I think this happened? I don't, I don't actually know why this happened but we have to change it now for our patients. And then afterwards, we have to figure out our public health system in the United States. We have to work on what's our infrastructure? What's our regulatory process? Why are we so slow? Why did the FDA leave all these doses sitting in Denmark and take so long to approve them? What, what are all these barriers? What is wrong with our public health system? And, and um, it was already gonna happen, I think, because of COVID an overhaul, but I think this is really tragic that we had another infectious disease that um, we responded poorly to. Speaking once again to Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco, this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Mancone, joined by Kathy Novak. Kathy? Thanks, Keith. So, Dr. Gandhi, now we do have this declaration of a public health emergency on the national level. We have a lot of people in the Bay Area alone waiting in physical lines on wait lists for their vaccines. You talked about, you know, the opportunities for containment here, but have we missed the window if we still don't have the vaccines to give to this targeted population? You know, the thing is that it's, to me, it's kind of amazing that I don't think we've yet, uh, despite all these missteps, missed the window because the issue is that it's still in a particular community and in a highly motivated community. This is still spreading within a specific social network, which is gained by sexual men. It still is not widely prevalent in the general population among heterosexual couples, for example. And because of that, we still have an opportunity to contain it. It's not too late despite our missteps. And so, um, but October, is too long to wait for the vaccine. The latest data is saying that we're gonna get these 786,000 doses from the Denmark plant in October. I think that's too long. So no one should die of a vaccine preventable illness and certainly no one should have pain. And I think that we could still get it if we hurry. I, that's what I think. I think we can contain it because it's still only in one community. Yeah. So just uh, for a little bit more background on some of the missteps that have happened, we've learned that the government actually did have millions of doses of this vaccine that were allowed to expire. Skip ahead to the news of this week, and we have this emergency declaration, hypothetically, that's going to uh, uh, give the federal government a freer hand to respond to the pandemic in a couple of ways, including uh, it's now going to be able to compel more data sharing from local hospitals. So we'll have a better picture of what's happening on the ground level. And it's also going to allow the FDA to expedite approvals for various treatments. So the government here certainly strengthening its hand, Dr. Gandhi. How big of a difference could this all make? Well, I actually think all of these can make a big difference. And um, I'm very happy that the United States this past week on August 4th declared a public health emergency following suit of the WHO who did the same thing on 
July 23rd. I'm very happy the U.S. did this because all of that red tape, all of those regulatory aspects, um, hopefully we can cut through some of that red tape. We can facilitate the response by this declaration of a public health emergency. The media attention on monkeypox has been pivotal. If we had this degree of, monk, of media attention on the early days of the HIV epidemic, I think we would have gotten to antivirals faster, to be fair. Mm. So this, I'm very impressed with the level and sophistication of the media response. And I am hoping for containment by October. That is like my true hope. Get the vaccine to people, get it in everyone's arm who wants it. Yes, get five doses out of a vial, um, spread out the vaccine, and let's try to contain this in two months. Yeah, all right. Well, an enlightening conversation as always. Uh, Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Benconi, joined today by Kathy Novak. Today in the program, we are discussing the Bay Area's fight to control monkeypox after the White House declared the virus a public health emergency earlier this past week. Uh, well, Kathy, we've been hearing so far about the bureaucratic challenges and the logistical snafus that have made the response less effective than I think many would have hoped. But there is another factor that many see at play here as well, and it has to do with who is being infected. Right, because monkeypox can infect anyone, but it just so happens that this particular outbreak has been predominantly spreading among gay and bisexual men. And as we have been discussing, those are the people being targeted for vaccinations. And many in the community have been sounding the alarm for weeks, months now, and pointing out that this is the same community that was overlooked during the HIV epidemic. Here's State Senator Scott Weiner. Anytime you have a health problem that is mostly impacting LGBTQ people, we get marginalized and it's not always prioritized as quickly as it needs to be prioritized. We saw this in a much more horrific way around HIV AIDS. All right. So obviously a lot of history there and we're going to unpack as much of it as we can. To help us do that, we're going to welcome on our next guest now, Tyler Tremier, who is the CEO of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, an organization that is running one of the city's monkeypox vaccination clinics. Tyler Tremier, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. So your organization, uh, founded all the way back in 1982, has been on the front lines of a deadly epidemic for decades now. Uh, and now you are playing a key role in addressing another outbreak that is also taking a, a painful toll on the LGBTQ community. Uh, do you agree with Senator Weiner's assessment there that marginalization of this community is playing a role in making this public health response, you know, uh, less urgent, less swift, less robust? Yeah, 100 percent. You know, in, in 1982, 40 years ago this year is when San Francisco AIDS Foundation was formed in a moment of crisis where community came together due to an initial failure in a federal public health response to a crisis happening among this same group of people. It was that community that in those moments had to rise up, educate each other, bring awareness to an issue and fight for the access to the resources that they needed and deserved. And throughout time, we have seen several other public health crises that were responded to with a much more efficient and robust action. And we truly believe that this is because this is impacting 
a historically marginalized group of folks and that the response would have been much swifter had it been anyone else. And now when it comes to getting the message out then, how much of a balancing act is it to ensure that the community gets the information that it needs, that the broader community gets the information that everyone needs, but that the LGBT community is not stigmatized in the delivery of this message? Yeah, I think this is a really uh, fine line to walk. We as public health officials have a responsibility to provide the community with clear, direct information about the public crisis, uh, public health crisis happening in our community. We know that in this circumstance that uh, monkeypox is impacting cisgender and transgender men, non-binary folks in the same social and sexual networks. We want them to have the information that they need to recognize monkeypox and access testing, vaccination, and treatment, and know who is at high risk and who may not be. But we also don't want to fall into the traps of the past and begin to stigmatize or politicize this as a a gay issue, knowing that it is a viral infection that could easily spread from one community to the next. Speaking once again to Tyler Tremere, the CEO of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. And I think that this has implications for us in the media as well, just in terms of how we discuss this outbreak. You know, I've, I've, I've seen folks incensed by some of the media coverage uh, on uh, Twitter saying that the media is, you know, linking this to the LGBTQ community, putting it in the minds of the public that this is a, a, a gay virus, uh, as some people have put it. What kind of language, in your view, is a responsible way to discuss this? Yeah, I think we have a responsibility to recognize that um, not everyone is is going to be able to put uh, intimate contact on hold in their lives and that we can create sex positive risk reduction based language that will help people continue to navigate the world and their social and sexual networks in a way that does reduce their risk and doesn't further stigmatize them. And part of that is the way that as public health officials, we talk about risk. And um, part of it is also the way that media talks about the issue happening in our community. You know, journalism offers uh, writers and those on podcasts, radio, and on TV, a platform that directly influences the public's opinion over issues of importance happening in our community and throughout our society. It gives them an inherent privilege to uh, choose what the community is going to hear. It's a platform um, that has widespread exposure and directly influences how people feel about an issue. So we have to continue to work together to fight stigma by balancing some population-specific messaging with non-stigmatizing, sex-positive, harm-reduction-focused health communication and public health strategies. We've been doing that at San Francisco AIDS Foundation by creating a series of materials and advice for the LGBTQ plus future, uh, LGBTQ plus community um, so that they can strike a balance um, between knowing what is safe and comfortable for them, meaning perhaps staying home and isolating if they need that, or how to reduce risk if they are going to be out and about. I understand though that there are kind of parallel conversations though happening 
on the community level. So not coming from the public health official space that you're talking about that has that lens. But, you know, we heard from David Norman at the top of the show who said that he decided to speak out and share his very personal story of what was happening to him physically because he got so much information from Instagram and that he was sort of saying, if people could just see a picture of what I am talking about, they might say what I personally think, which is that party seems like a lot of fun, but it's just not worth the risk of going through this. Yeah, again, I think this is a is a delicate balance of providing the community with um, with the appropriate messaging to make the choice for themselves. And that means creating a balanced approach. We learned early on in the HIV epidemic that fear-based messaging was not effective and could actually cause further harm and stigma to communities, but that we did need to be very clear about the risk that folks were taking and if they were going to make choices about how to navigate their social and sexual networks, that they had the appropriate tools in their tool belt to do so. Speaking once again to Tyler Termier, CEO of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, this is KCBS in depth. We're talking about the monkeypox outbreak this week and also the fact that, of course, over the past several days, we've been getting pronouncements at the federal level, at the state level, saying that this is indeed a public health emergency and more resources and more latitude is going to given, be given to health officials to deal with this. Uh, Tyler Tremere, I know that you've been one of the voices saying that more urgency is needed. How much more hope do you have now that we have these pronouncements uh, from both the federal and state level? Yeah, I... I am happy that we have arrived at this moment, but I can't be more clear that we are incredibly late in this process. The federal government had the appropriate data to make a decision about a state of emergency as early as late May or June, when we knew that there was the potential for widespread of monkeypox in our country. We have been ringing the alarm as public health officials and community activists for months. And as we've continued through the spread of monkeypox in California, we have been doing our best to continue to raise the level of urgency needed, the amount of resources needed. We hope that this will bring more awareness, that it will bring those resources to our community that are much needed, but it is coming late in that process. There are lasting consequences beyond the painful scars uh, that will, will be physically on the community of folks that have been impacted by monkeypox. We will see long lasting emotional distress. We will see folks that had to isolate themselves for weeks and perhaps lost their jobs and no longer have job security or haven't been able to work, so don't have the money to pay their rent and now are worried about their housing stability. This is a prime example of how the lack of action in a swift and thoughtful way will harm a community for decades. But what is hopeful and promising to me is um, that Dr. Dimitri Dakalaskis, who has been named as the deputy monkeypox coordinator, comes from a long history of working in the response to HIV in our country. He is an ally. He understands the intricacies of working within LGBTQ plus communities and has long been 
um, an incredible champion for ensuring that people have the access that they need and deserve. And for all of us who have been working in HIV for decades, this is a very promising sign of what may be down coming down the road. Yeah. Well, a promising sign coming after weeks of frustration, as we've been hearing. But uh, we are going to take that promise as far as we can for now and round out this conversation. We have been speaking to Tyler Tremier, once again, the CEO of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Tyler Tremier, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening for KCBS and In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, joined by Kathy Novak. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for having me, Keith. For everyone out there, stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 